That chat is brought to you by Walters. This Friday night, Walters will be showing not only the Nationals and the NBA playoffs, but also Rough and Rowdy 17. This is a Barstool Sports event. will feature over 20 fights. Should be a lot of fun. As always, head over to waltersdc.com slash events for more information on all of the pay-per-view events that Walters is hosting. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Throw to first, throws it away. Rojas will score. Gonzalez going for second, now around heading for third. Bell's throw is thrown away. He's going to try to score, and he will. The Nationals commit two throwing errors on the same play, and a pickoff toss results in two runs on the board for the Marlins, and it's 4-0 Miami. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Mark Zuckerman is off for this installment of the pod, but I am very pleased to be joined by the mastermind of the Nats Chat podcast, the architect of the Nats Chat podcast, Tim Shovers. And, you know, Tim, the last episode of this podcast was about what was to me, and I'm guessing to a lot of people listening, the worst game of the Nats season so far. This installment of the podcast, unfortunately, is about a game that wasn't much better. Uh, a 5-1 loss at the Miami Marlins on Tuesday night in Game 2 of a three-game series. That's this season now a National League East worst to 12-26, including just 6-19 and since a 6-7 and start to the season. Yeah, the Nats have lost 19 of their last 25 games. Uh, you know, Tim, more bad hitting, more bad fielding, more bad pitching, and now we have some concerns here with Cade Cavalli. We'll get to those coming up in just a little bit, but it's rough right now, man. I mean, you're a big baseball fan. You saw the Nats when they were bad, like a lot of us did. This is so reminiscent of what was going on with this franchise in the dark days. The baseball is bad, Al. The baseball is bad. These have been some really tough watches. I actually, before we recorded this, I looked up starting with uh, the Cubs series last year in D.C. That was the night after the fire sale concluded, uh, which the Nats actually won two of three that weekend. But since then, Al, if you start from that night, dating through now, they are 30-69 and 69 in their last 99 games. And a lot of those obviously have been blowouts or not competitive games. We have been exposed to a really bad stretch. And if you sort of extrapolate this out to 162-game sample size, we're basically watching 50-win baseball. 
that's the kind of baseball we're getting day in and day out. Yeah. I mean, the Nats are tracking toward not just a hundred loss season, but like 110 losses, maybe even more. You know, now we'll see if they get to that level. I'd like to think that they won't. I'd like to think that things won't be that bad. But, you know, when we talk about the worst teams in baseball, so far, the Nats are a part of that group. I mean, that's just the truth about things. And, you know, I think we all recognized what this team would be this season, and that is not very good. But, you know, there are levels to bad. And what we're seeing right now is, I think, an alarming level of bad. And, you know, it's one of the things brought up on the last installment of the podcast. It's like, could it be that things are worse than anyone realized, that this rebuild isn't just some quick little retool that Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez need to engineer, but that things are worse than we ever thought? I don't know. I mean, again, you know, I don't want to be an alarmist and like overreact to just these last few games. But the thing is, it's not just these last few games. We're about a quarter of the way into the season. I mean, like I said, the Nats have lost 19 of their last 25 games. And there is an ugliness to these games. I think that's the thing. <laughs> these games, these performances are like off-putting what we're seeing. The fielding is offensive right now. Every game, there's some clown show moment. We had another one on Tuesday night. Al, you know, you brought up the early days of the Nats. And as someone who lived in Atlanta, I followed the Expos and the early Nats well. So I wasn't living here just yet. I moved here in 2010, but I saw it often. And we are approaching that level of baseball, which is not really major league. And baseball, what we've seen, and you just described it really well, you know some of those those games, Al, where you log on to Twitter at about 345 and Mark and Jesse – their Twitter timelines already have like nine tweets from the first half hour they've been at the ballpark because there's been some wholesale changes with the roster and Davey has a quick comment and maybe Rizzo's got a quick comment and you, and you catch up to a lot. I feel like one of those days need to be coming. There needs to be a few changes here and just whether it's swapping out veterans and you could pick whatever veterans you want, but I can't see how this current iteration of the team can continue much longer. It's bad. Uh, it's really bad. So you know, there are many places at which we could start with this latest Nats loss. I'd like to bring up this latest clown show defensive moment. This really is something. Understand what happened on Tuesday night. The Nats, for a second consecutive game, had a play on which the team committed two errors. To do that once is something. To do that twice is something. To do that in back-to-back -back games, I don't know that I've ever seen that before. And the two-error play on Tuesday night came in a three-error inning for the Nats. So Nats reliever Erasmo Ramirez, uh, he on Tuesday night allowed two runs, one earned in the bottom of the seventh inning. The Nats in this Marlins two-run seventh committed three errors, two of which were by Erasmo Ramirez. One and one, Ramirez sets, a high set. The leg kick and the arm around, and a bunt try, first base side. Ramirez has to chase it. He runs it down and can't pick it up. By the way, I'd like to know this. Nats pitchers have got to lead the majors in errors this season. It feels like Nats pitchers have committed a truckload of errors this season. Anyway, uh, Erasmo in this two-run Marlins seventh on Tuesday night uh, gave up a leadoff double to Miguel Rojas. Ramirez then committed a fielding error on a sacrifice bunt by Eric Gonzalez, uh, had trouble uh, picking up the baseball with his glove, wasn't an easy play, he got charged with the error, so he had runners at the corners, and then came another two-error play by the Nats. Uh, Erasmo Ramirez committed a throwing error on a pickoff attempt at first base, and then Josh Bell, and boy, his name is coming up more and more in these embarrassing moments here, uh, he made a throwing error in throwing the baseball 
to third base. Two runs ended up scoring on this two-error play, giving the Marlins a 4-0 lead. I mean, Tim, here we were again. Another play worthy of, you know, any 1980s, 1990s blooper-style highlight reel. We had it here from the Nats. This was something else to see. Josh Bell, Al, you know, first impressions last forever. The first time I was exposed to Josh Bell, there was a random day off, and I went to PNC, finally crossed it off my bucket list. And it was 2017. I was sitting next to a diehard Pittsburgh fan, and he was telling me about the roster, and he said, Josh Bell, he can hit, but he is a really bad fielder. And then a half inning later, he dropped a routine throw from the shortstop. Just so you know where my head is at on all Josh Bell defensive plays. Uh, I also do remember last year, remember that bounce throw against Baltimore? Here's the set, the 2-2. Swing a line drive right field toward the corner over Soto's head and one hop off the wall. Soto gloves the carom. Hayes to third is going to stop as the throw in gets by the cutoff man. Now he's going to try to score. Bell throws home the tag by Gomes. He is out at the plate. Huge play there for the Nationals. To nail a player at the plate. So, yeah, you know, this is a long way of saying these throws from him happen. You know, the pickoff move also, I don't know if that's an organizational thing or just we're in a bad stretch. Like, I don't know what's going on there. But you're right, Al. I mean, I didn't see an Elias stat, but that can't be too often. You have back-to-back nights of two airs on the same play. Horrible. And, you know, I say this all the time because I think it's important to say errors are not the ultimate determinant of how you are as a fielder in baseball, right? And I think most people by now are aware of that. That said... Errors aren't completely meaningless, and if you're watching these games like we all are, these are, for the most part, legitimate errors. You know, these are not like unfair errors, and in fact, if you're watching these games like most of us are, you're seeing a lot of plays on which errors are not being charged that are bad defensive plays by the Nats. So it's like, whatever you want to call the bucket of bad defense, that bucket includes plays that are errors, that bucket includes plays that don't officially go down as errors. But yeah, you know, with Josh Bell, we get it, right? He's not a great fielder. He's doing his best. He at times has been okay defensively at first base. I think this season we've seen a lot more bad defensively from Bell than we saw last year. But in an ideal world, Josh Bell is your designated hitter. In an ideal world, Yadiel Hernandez is your designated hitter. But the problem for the Nats is they have a full-time DH in Nelson Cruz. And Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night was back for the Nats. He returned from a one-game absence caused by illness. Good that he's feeling better. We're happy about that. But Nelson Cruz was right back to struggling. You know, there were some encouraging signs within the last week or so. I don't want to say those signs have disappeared, but his last few games have not been great. You know, he's been back to doing as he's done for way too much of this season, and that is not hit. And Nelson Cruz on Tuesday night, 0 for 4 with three strikeouts. He left four men on base. And how about the nature of these strikeouts? Cruz began the top of the second by striking out swinging on three pitches. He began the top of the fifth by striking out swinging on five pitches. And then Cruz in the top of the sixth with the bases loaded, two outs, and the Nats down, one nothing. And your cleanup batter comes up to hit. Now Okert is ready. Three balls, two strikes to Cruz. There go the runners. Here comes the pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out with a slider. The phrase cleanup batter comes from the guy is capable of cleaning out the bases, right? If they're filled up, this guy is a good enough hitter to where he can clean out the bases. This is the spot that your number four batter is supposed to thrive in. And Nelson Cruz in the top of the six in this spot. Again, bases loaded, two outs, that's down, one nothing. Strikes out swinging. 
on seven pitches. Tim Nelson Cruz is batting 188. He has a 271 on base. He has a 299 slugging percentage. We've asked many times already this season how much longer is Davey Martinez going to stick with Nelson Cruz as the every game DH and the cleanup batter? I'm all for giving people chances. I'm not a big believer in just, you know, pulling the plug on someone, especially someone with a track record quickly into the season. I don't know that it's quick anymore. And I think we're really getting to a time at which Davey is going to have to, at, at the very least, drop Nelson Cruz down in the order because he has had ample opportunity this season to do well, and he just is not doing well. To me, the only reason why you almost are keeping Cruz in the lineup is the hope of what you can get in mid to late July. Other than that, you know, it's sort of why you're doing all these gymnastics for Cruz when Yadiel is a legitimate DH option instead and you and you have another guy you could plug in in left field. I'm with you, Al. I don't have an answer yet because I just started asking that very question myself within the last week, but I'm getting there where it's like, wait, what are we doing here with Cruz? And at the very least... He's got to hit at least, move him at least one spot down. He is not earned being anywhere in the two to four hole. Yeah. And I mean, Nelson Cruz, I would think he's a reasonable person. Like, what is he going to kick and scream if you put Yadiel Hernandez ahead of Nelson with the way that Yadiel has hit this year, the way that Nelson has hit this year? I mean, you know, Nelson Cruz is not going to be here more likely than not beyond the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd. And even if he is, He's gone after this season, okay? They're not keeping him beyond this season, barring the unforeseen. So I wouldn't get so caught up in, like, feelings here, you know? Like, do what's right for the team. uh, Do what's right for the organization. I mean, look, hopefully he starts hitting. But we've been saying that for a while, and it's still not happening. And you do wonder if we're just, this is just, you know, the decline here of Nelson Cruz. Age 41 season, struggled in the second half of last season as compared to in the first half of last season. He's a human being. He wasn't going to be a great slugger forever. We may be seeing the end of Nelson Cruz here. I don't know. I mean, he was doing better within the last week or two. So, you know, you're kind of like, all right, well, what happened to that? Maybe he gets back to it soon. But this really stood out on Tuesday night, those three strikeouts, especially in that big spot uh, with the bases loaded and two outs. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. The Window Nation graduation sale continues. If your old windows are failing or just not making the grade, here's a homework assignment. Call Window Nation and get to the head of the class with 0% financing for five full years. Yes, five years, 60 months, and get two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Window Nation windows are the best. Window Nation has installed over a million windows in over 150,000 homes, with 96% of those homes needing no follow-up service. You get two free windows for every two windows that you buy, and you make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Increase the value of your home with curb appeal. Save money on your energy bills by replacing your old inefficient windows with new energy efficient Window Nation windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Bender, a long look in. Now he throws over, and they call him out. He is picked off, according to Mark Carlson, the crew chief and first base umpire. 
There's more sloppiness that we can talk about. Victor Robles got picked off on Tuesday night. How do you like that? You know, he got his first stolen base of the season on Monday night. You thought that maybe things were going well for Victor, at least when it came to him on the base paths. And sure enough, what happened with Robles on Tuesday night? Top of the six, a one-out single to center field. But then Robles, with the lineup turning over, remember Victor Robles is an at's number nine batter, right? So Cesar Hernandez is batting. You got Juan Soto coming up. You got Josh Bell coming up. Well, Victor Robles, Nats are down one nothing gets picked off at first base for the second down. I mean, if we were truly invested in the outcomes of these games, you'd say, boy, that's a terrible spot in which to get picked off, right? A one-run game, lineup is turning over, Soto's coming up, Bell's coming up, and you get picked off like that. But Robles gets picked off, and what I thought was interesting, Tim, was so he is leaning Robles' toward his right as if he's about to go to second base. He then, in going back to first base, almost like just fell down on the infield dirt. I don't know if he didn't know where he was in relation to the first base bag, but he didn't really dive towards first base. He kind of like belly flopped on the infield dirt, and he was tagged out pretty easily, and he was tagged out so easily that he just ran back to the dugout. He didn't like try to argue what happened. He didn't even try to feign like, hey, wait a second, I was safe. He like, it was almost like he got humbled. He took his medicine and he went right to that Nats dugout. Yeah, he, uh, he that was a clear pickoff. You didn't need to see the replay on that one. You know, we talked earlier about how the baseball is bad right now. And you talked about how inopportune a time it was based upon the score and where the lineup was. Those are just the things that bad baseball teams seem to do, right, Al? They just figure out how to make a bad out on the base pass, complete unforced error. And it's disappointing when you're hoping that Victor can get going after finally you know, trying to steal his first base of the season, hopefully get a little momentum here. Yeah. And, you know, last year I was not happy with how Davey pulled the plug on Victor Robles so soon as an ad's number one batter. You know, it's not like Victor did a lot to earn that spot as the season went on. But this season, like, there's no doubt, Victor's been out there on pretty much an every game basis. Like, this is his chance. I often wonder if this is it for Victor Robles with the Nats this year. Like, it's do or die. And if he doesn't do well this year, then maybe he's still with the team moving forward, but he's not going to be a starting player for the team moving forward. He's going to become like a Michael A. Taylor and become like a fourth outfielder uh, for this team. But yeah, he's getting a shot and something like that getting picked off like that in that spot. You know, that's the kind of thing that drives Davey nuts. You know, it's the kind of thing that drives Mike Rizzo nuts. Not a smart play. Victor knows that. Like he's not, he's not uh, ignorant of the reality. Like he gets that. Uh, but that was a bad moment for him there. So for the Nats uh, on Tuesday night, just the one run, uh, the Nats totaled just seven hits, double and six singles, worked four walks, 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. We talked about the latest sloppiness with the defense. Uh, the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Yoan Adone. Interesting outing for Adone. So he was coming off a rather poor outing, that 4-1 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park last Thursday afternoon. Three runs in three and two-thirds innings. His control, again, was a big problem in that outing. Five walks, a hit-by-pitch, a wild pitch. He threw 84 pitches, just 44 of which were strikes. Think about that, 44 strikes versus 40 balls. Well, Joanna Doan on Tuesday night issued no walks. That's like a huge victory in and of itself right there. Yoana Doan came into the game with a walk rate this season of 6.47 walks per nine innings over seven starts. It was good to see that. But like I said, he only lasted for four and two-thirds innings. Uh, He gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He issued a hit by pitch. He recorded just two strikeouts, but he threw a lot of pitches over the four and two-thirds innings. 
84 pitches. And it did look like he was starting to fade. He, in the bottom of the fifth, gave up a leadoff homer to Miguel Rojas to left field for a one nothing Marlins lead. You know, still, one run in four and two-thirds innings. I mean, he only gave up the one run. Didn't last for long. You know, I don't want to try to make this out to be a great outing. It wasn't, but it was Im- improvement. It was better from his last outing, which was pretty poor, so much so that we were wondering if, you know, he might not be long for the Nats rotation. Yeah, I think more important than the amount of runs given up this game, it's the amount of walks issued, and that was a big fat zero. I consider in some portion this outing a success for Adome. I didn't think he pitched particularly well, and then I was pleasantly surprised at the line when he exited the game. Five hits in under five innings, that tallies pretty quickly. I like Al his fastball, his off speed, especially with two strikes. It doesn't seem like he knows how to get guys out just yet, but where I'm going with this is, I'm encouraged with what I'm seeing from Yohan Adon and bits and pieces on the nights where he's not walking guys. On the nights where he's walking six dudes, I don't have much of a defense there. But overall, I think if you're a Nets fan, feeling a bit better about Yohan Adon. I think you see things to like. The big thing is what you said, the walks, you know, the lack of control. He does throw hard. He has had some impressive outings this year, but the problem is he's had some really brutal ones too. You know, his overall numbers for the year are not good. His ERA is 638, but he's a young pitcher, and so you want to see him. Like, at least when a Doan pitches, you feel like there's a purpose. You know, I, I think what's tough right now is like when an Aaron Sanchez pitches, you're kind of like, okay, whatever. Like, if he does well, fine. And if he struggles, even worse. But He's not really taking you anywhere. No one has any faith that Aaron Sanchez is a piece to any extent moving forward. I mean, I guess maybe in an ideal scenario, he pitches well enough to where you can flip him for a prospect. Okay, but, you know, that's not happening right now with the way that things are going for him. At least with Adone, he's young, there's talent. You know, you want to see if the guy can develop into anything. But, you know, it's been it's been tough for him here. So, but, you know, until Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross are ready, until Cade Cavalli is ready, and we'll get to him shortly, uh, Adone probably going to be staying in the Nats rotation, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, the Nats bullpen on Tuesday night had problems too. Three Nats relievers combined to give up four runs, three earned in three into third innings. Steve Ciszek allowed one run in one into third innings. He came into the game in the bottom of the fifth runner on first two outs. Nats were down one nothing. Did induce a grounder for an inning-ending force out. Ciszek in the bottom of the sixth gave up a two-out solo homer to Jesus Sanchez on a bomb to right center field for a 2-0 Marlins lead. You know, Ciszek had Sanchez down at 1.02. That was a big homer by Sanchez uh, when it projected 425 feet per stat cast. Ciszek really has not been very impressive. He's You might say he's the biggest disappointment in this Nats bullpen so far this year. You know, I don't want to overstate like the expectations for Steve Ciszek coming into the season, but veteran reliever, pretty good track record. Uh, he's had problems feels like more often than not. Erasmo Ramirez, we discussed him, two runs, one earned in the bottom of the seventh. And then Paolo Espino, uh, he's, he's been a little bit shaky. The secret weapon lately, uh, you know, he's being thrust into these ultra low leverage spots. Uh, Paolo on Tuesday night, a run in the bottom of the eighth, during which he gave up a double and a couple of singles. However, though, a listener of ours, Val, attended the game. She tweeted at us. She was wearing a secret weapon t-shirt and then got to see Paulo Espino pitch. So if you want to see the bright side of the evening. Well, that's good. That's good. And speaking of listeners of the Nats Chat podcast attending this game on Tuesday night, shout out to at Fort Circle on Twitter, sending us a photo of him standing behind home plate prior to the game in a glorious Nats Chat podcast t-shirt. 
Uh, we've put that out there on social media, on Twitter. You can follow the Nats Chat Podcast on Twitter, at Nats underscore Chad. I get a kick out of this, though. Like, of all of the visiting ballparks to have multiple people represent the Nats Chat Podcast, the Marlins Park, Lone Depot Park, at which 8,097 fans were in attendance on Tuesday night. That's where we get multiple people showing up with Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts. That's that's great. Al, I know a lot of people that got grandparents in this area that live in West Palm. <laughs> I, I don't have to tell you. So I can't say I was too stunned. That was great. I didn't anticipate that because obviously the ratio of percentage of fans is lower. So, uh, you know, we get two fans. That really stands out at Marlins Park. Yeah, I mean, two is like, you know, a third of the crowd for, for the Marlins during the week. So we'll, we'll take that. Absolutely. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One-two pitch is lifted toward left center, toward the gap. Long run for Palacios. He lays out but can't catch it. It lands in safely. Peterson has scored. Kingery has scored. Maton scrambling to the plate. He'll score two. And it's a three-run double for Jairo Munoz. A 4 nothing Lehigh Valley lead in the top of the first. All right. As if there wasn't enough bad news for the Nats on Tuesday night at the major league level, we also had this at the minor league level. Boy, I wish we had happier news to be discussing but we just don't right now. Uh, but Cade Cavalli on Tuesday night got shellacked. Cavalli in an 11-5 home loss for the AAA Rochester Red Wings to the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs allowed five runs and got just two outs. Cade Cavalli now, over seven starts for Rochester this season, has an ERA of 7.62 and has a whip of 155. Now, you might say, well, what happened on Tuesday night really skews those numbers to a degree, yes. But if you've been following Kate Cavalli, you know he's not killing it at AAA so far this year. Just like, oh, by the way, he didn't kill it at AAA last year. It's really interesting if you study how Kate Cavalli has done in the minors for the Nats. Awesome for the high A Wilmington Blue Rocks last season. Awesome for the double A Harrisburg Senators last season. But he struggled for AAA Rochester last season over six starts. ERA of 766. And now here we are this season. Cavalli over seven starts for Rochester has an ERA of 762. So over 13 starts combined now for Cavalli at Rochester. You're talking about an ERA well over seven. 
Should we at all be concerned? I think that's the question. Is there reason for concern here with Cade Cavalli? Al, in my notes, I had, ask Al, should we be concerned about Cavalli? (laughs) Since we're both asking it, I think it's definitely time to have the conversation, especially that you really extrapolated the sample size. 13 starts is not a full season, but that is, that's not three or four starts. And, you know, there's a clear situation here. The second he went up in class, he has been hit hard. Now, the only thing that makes me feel better is you look at the two-thirds of an inning, and that's very troubling, but both outs were strikeouts. And he has had games where, yes, he's given up six runs, but he's also struck out six guys. So I don't know his pitch sequencing. I'm not going to pretend that I do. But it does seem like, at the very least, he still has swing and miss stuff. So that's the one thing that's keeping me happy, Al. He does have those things, and that's better than not having those things. But I think here's the thing that I come back to. If you have to ask the question, should we be concerned, then the answer is you should be concerned. Okay, now, it's not that you need to, like, you know, panic, okay? It's not like you need to say, Cade Cavalli is a bust, but I think what you do say is, hmm, this isn't good. Why is this happening? And why is it now that over two seasons at AAA, and, you know, 13 starts, so it's not, you know, 40 starts, but it's 13 starts, Why is he having these problems? And, you know, it's not like the ERA is four. The ERA is over seven, okay? So that's, I think, worth pointing out here, too. You know, Kate Cavalli is still regarded as one of the top pitching prospects in baseball. If you go by the top 100 prospect rankings on MLB Pipeline right now, Kate Cavalli is the number 37 prospect in all of baseball. So there's a long way to go here, and maybe he's just learning some hard lessons at AAA, But I think the takeaway, ultimately, when it comes to the Nats at the major league level is he's probably not coming up anytime soon. I think going into this season, if you would have said, okay, going into June, is Cade Cavalli pitching for the Nats at the major league level? I think a lot of us would have said yes. Don't forget what Davey Martinez said not that long ago. Remember, Cade Cavalli was among the Nats' non-roster invitees to 2022 Nat spring training. After a performance on March 25th in an exhibition loss to St. Louis, Davey Martinez during a post-game press conference would not commit to demoting Cade Cavalli. When asked what was next for Cavalli, Davey said, quote, I think we'll keep him here and let him throw again in five days and we'll see where we're at, end quote. And there was actually some thought at that time of, wow, could Cade Cavalli actually begin the season at the major league level? Well, that didn't happen. His next outing was a debacle, another game against the Cardinals, March 30th. He in relief allowed 11 runs, 10 earned in two and a third innings. And now that we're seeing what we're seeing from him at AAA, it's hard to make the argument of, hey, you got to call this guy up right now. I think at some point this season, he'll probably be called up. But you know what? Maybe it doesn't end up happening until July or August, maybe September. He's not pitching well enough right now to say that he needs to be summoned. And as bad as the Nats pitching is, the development of Cavalli matters more than anything happening at the major league level right now in terms of pitcher performance. So, yeah, I, I think this is of the many disappointing things about this Nats season. You could argue this might be number one that Kate Cavalli, his performance at AAA has not been such to where he's like banging on the door to be called up to the majors. No, this is the most concerning thing. To me, the two most important things this season were Gray and Cavalli and how they're doing. And Gray has done, I like what I've seen from Gray. And this is very alarming. Al, you talk about, you know, you think you'll see him by the end of the season, maybe, and September and August are a long way away. 
But right now, it's tough to see him making his debut in 2022. He's going to have to really turn it around over the course of the next few months. It's hard to say because Cole Henry's innings have been short. But almost at this point, if you ask me who gets promoted first, Henry to Rochester or Cavalli to Washington, right now, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd lean towards Henry. Yeah, and I brought this up off the air to Mark the other night. Is it at all possible that Cole Henry ends up being called up to the majors before Cade Cavalli? Now, that still would seem rather unlikely because Cole Henry has to do well at AAA. And for all we know, Cole Henry might pull a Cavalli and, you know, be dominant at AA and then struggle at AAA. But it's not been good for Cade Cavalli at AAA. This is over multiple seasons now, albeit over 13 total starts. So, you know, it's not a massive sample size, but it's not a nothing sample size. And it's not just, again, that he's having some issues. It's that his ERA is over seven, okay? Like, that's really bad. So we'll see. But this is a huge deal, the development of Cade Cavalli. And hopefully the Nats are able to get him on track. He does make his major league debut this season. He looks great. And uh, we can laugh at what happened against the Lee High Valley Iron Pigs uh, on this Tuesday night. Uh, you tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We've gotten a lot of great emails in recent days. Uh, I want to read you this email. It comes to us from Owen Ranger. He says, uh, on today's episode, so this is written for Tuesday, Mark and Al talked a little bit about clubhouse atmosphere and guys feeling like they can express themselves through their play and otherwise. Who are the clubhouse leaders now? It used to be Zim, Max, and Trey before the trades last year. Uh, All of them brought a ton of personality on and off the field. Who has replaced that? I think that's an interesting question. I mean, I think the topic of leadership can be overrated and, you know, like leadership is kind of a cliche thing and it's this abstract concept. And what exactly is leadership? I think it's different things to different people. But to Owen's point, you know, you think about like the people who in theory should be the quote unquote leaders, right? Steven Strasburg, well, he's not pitching for the team so far this season. Patrick Corbin, well, he's a really bad pitcher right now, you know. Maybe he's a leader, but I wouldn't be stunned if he isn't, you know, given kind of where his career is at. Juan Soto should be a leader. He's very young, but you would think he would uh, check that box. Josh Bell, Nelson Cruz, okay, but, you know, Cruz is struggling big time right now. So his leadership, quote unquote, only goes so far. I mean, the Nats have a lot of veteran players, right? But so many guys aren't doing well. I'm not sure how far you can go with your leadership when you're not performing well. And I think that's an issue for the Nats here. I'm a big believer in leadership. I think that stuff really matters in the dugout. I don't have the numbers to quantify it. It's just sort of a feel thing, having watched the sport. The one thing where, you know, we're not behind closed doors, you know, I do wonder who is the guy that closes the door after these last two games, and we've now had three embarrassing plays in under a week, and says, this expletive stops now. Is that guy on the team? I I hope so. There's plenty of options you just laid out, but you knew that Max Scherzer would would have said that. Um, I thought Scherzer's leadership was so valuable on top of, obviously, his right arm, which was most important. So to Owen's point, usually bad teams and leadership, that relationship is strong, and I hope to see more of it as things hopefully turn around. Yeah, the truth may be that the leader is the manager, Davey Martinez. And, you know, I think about Davey and – Certainly, the state of the Nats is not the fault of Davey. I think we all get that. 
But this sloppiness doesn't reflect well on anyone, including Davey and his staff. And it may not be that the sloppiness is the fault of Davey and his staff, right? But when you're watching this, you say to yourself, boy, do they work on these things? And of course, the answer is yes, then that's work on base running and work on fielding. But boy, those things have been so bad for so much of this season that you do start to call things into question. And, you know, if nothing else, I would think Davey is embarrassed for himself of like, and not that he would ever say this, but it's like, you're making me look bad. You know, you're making my staff look bad. Again, he's not going to say this to the players, but internally, that's got to be a thought that crosses his mind. Because if you don't know better and you see some of these moments that we're seeing and that we're talking about, two error plays and, you know, guys getting picked off and Nats players routinely being thrown out at home plate, you're like, who's running this ship? right? Like who's teaching, who's teaching these guys how to play? Who's instructing them? So it's just, it's not a good look for anybody right now. And all we can hope is that things get better and we shall see. Well, keep the feedback coming to us. Hang in there. We are all in this together. Remember the Nats Chat podcast is with you after every Nats game day. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us Nats Chat podcast at gmail.com. If you are a Nats fan, if you're looking for in-depth Nationals conversation, you get it on this podcast uh, like you get it nowhere else in the Washington, D.C. market. And we appreciate all of you for being with us here for the Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt and wear it to Lone Depot Park like some of our great listeners have by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on that chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan, Mark Zuckerman will be back with me on the next installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. For Tim Shovers, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening to this installment of the Nats Chat Podcast. And we have solicited for your memories, your stories from that Nationals 2012 National League East winning season, the breakout season for the Nats in D.C. This is, of course, the 10-year anniversary of that season. And so we'll leave you with these memories from John Walker in Alexandria, Virginia. Good morning, Alan Mark. This is John Walker, Alexandria, Virginia, responding to your request for memories of the 2012 Nats season. I'm recording this while in Sandwich, England, the far southwest of England, further showing the global reach and future domination of the Nats Chat podcast. Parken back to my memory of 2012, which was mostly the epic meltdown in Game 5. I've got some sub-memories associated with it. First is that I was in New York City. I was dark on the phone for a couple hours because I was watching my daughter perform. When I came out of that performance, I had a note from a friend of mine who shall remain nameless, let's call him Harvey, saying, Harper just hit a three-run home run in the bottom of the third, Nats up 6 nothing. I like our chances. I chastised him at the time for being a jinx. Henceforth, he has been known, of course, as Harvey the Jinx. Next memory is of the eighth and ninth innings, feeling pretty good when the Nats got the insurance run in the bottom of the eighth. Then, of course, the top of the ninth happened. And I remember thinking, this is one of the most epic, soul-crushing, mind-numbing meltdowns I've ever seen. Fortunately, I'm not that much of a Nats fan, which I wasn't at the time because of kids, etc., dominating my time and energies. And I just was struck by how horrific it must be for people who really cared. I then got to experience something close to it, but not quite the same, in Game 5 of the NLDS against the Cubs 
in 2017. Third memory is sitting in the stands in the NLCS Game 4 2019 when the Nats scored seven runs in the bottom of the first to go ahead of the Cardinals seven to nothing and thinking to myself, and I'm sure I'm not alone, not enough, not enough, not enough. We need more runs. I've seen this movie. We need more runs. We never got more runs, but we held them to less than seven. And of course, the rest is history. Anyway, just wanted to pass those thoughts along while helping the global reach of the podcast. Keep up the great work. Very much appreciate everything. Thank you. Runners second and third, two out. Five nothing Nationals, bottom of the first. Swing and a fly ball, left field toward the line. Ozuna on the run, can't get there. Drops in for a base hit. Scoring is Robles behind him. Coming in from second is Gomes on a single to left. Two runs batted in for Trey Turner. Seven runs home here in the bottom of the first inning. They'll all be charged to the starter, Dakota Hudson. With two out of the bottom of the first inning, 10 Nationals have batted. It's Washington 7, St. Louis nothing. Unbelievable.